0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Game Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Rudolf Enders, the host of the channel. Today we'll be talking to Esther Wright about her new book, Rockstar Games and American History, Promotional Materials and the Construction of Authenticity. Esther, welcome to the show.
1: Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
2: Hmm. Ista, I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself, your academic interests, and of course, your favorite game and the one or even the ones you are playing right now.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've always sort of academically speaking, been interested in the way that history, or I guess the past, sort of manifests in different forms of popular culture. Um, so this started really um, when I was, a, you know, an undergrad student. Looking at film and and television and and books that were sort of historical in nature or had things to say about the past, I guess. So, historical fiction, generally speaking, I suppose. Um, And this sort of developed into an interest in games fairly naturally, I guess, even though um, nothing about my kind of uh, education as a history student ever really included games at that point. Um, But I've been playing games all of my life. Um, So, my earliest memories really of my dad's sort of original game boy where she had like three games for or something through to having a you know playstation and playing with friends on xbox live that kind of thing so games have always been quite a big part of of my life and my interests anyway um and yeah so i suppose again some of the some of my favorite games have always been sort of historical in in nature even before i kind of realized that was a thing or it became what i do and sort of think about professionally so fallout 3 being basically one of one of my all-time favorite games um so yeah this this is kind of where it's all developed from this early interest in sort of history of popular culture historical fiction through to um now thinking that games are a really interesting way that um people communicate ideas about the past that people learn things probably um about the past so that's where i've kind of ended up um And in terms of what I'm playing at the moment, um, it's literally anything not related to immediately what I'm researching, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, Um, I've been playing quite a lot of um, Stardew Valley, um, which is, yeah, trying not to engage the the game studies brain too much. Um, And also... Um, I've been playing quite a lot of Cyberpunk 2077, which I completely missed when it first came out. And it's, it's hard to not engage the, the game studies brain while playing that game, to be honest. But um, yeah, I'm trying to catch up on all the stuff that I've just not had time to play really over the last few years.
2: All right. So um, let's talk about your book then. It's very, very, very intriguing, and interesting stuff. How did you come to write Rockstar Games and American History in the first place?
1: Yeah so I in terms of my like I said my interest in history and popular culture it was always usually sort of different aspects of American history um, and how that was represented in various forms of media so the straightforward answer I guess or the most basic answer is that Rockstar are essentially um, I guess known for games which have a certain kind of um, historical consciousness that you know we can easily place their games in a a certain kind of context of you know, how they have a particular relationship to America past and present um, and their relationship also to the kind of um, the wider cultural industries like film that they draw so much from. So when I started the, the PhD project, which um, was the project that, eventually become the book it was it was much more focused on what i think some people might assume that the book is about so a very straightforward um book about looking at just what parts of rock games represent different parts of american history and just a kind of comparison sort of thing um which is obviously a part of what the book is about but over over time when kind of doing this project i became much more interested in sort of other aspects beyond just the games themselves so more interested in the role of kind of developer branding and how that influenced the kinds of historical games that a company might make, Um, you know, especially with a company like Rockstar, which has such a defined sort of brand image in a particular way that they make games according to it with similar themes and and characters and and touchstones and things like that. So um, I also became pretty fascinated with the way that companies like Rockstar market their games. Um, And in in ways that really are when I was, you know, when I was looking at different marketing materials and different kind of digital um, paratextual content. So the kinds of stuff that Rockstar were making and putting online um, for players to read before their games came out um, or to to watch rather than read. um, They were making some quite kind of obsessive um, claims about historical authenticity um, and their games and, and the historical authenticity of what their games were were saying or allowing players to see and experience about America's past. So the book, I guess, sits somewhere at the the intersection of all these things. So we're thinking about the parts of American Western history that Rockstar do and don't engage with in their games, um, how their games were then marketed as authentic and what that actually looks like or what it means, um, and the role that their their brand or image as a developer sort of plays in all of this.
2: I see. Well, this actually leads into my next question then. Rockstar and the myth of the old, or let's say not so old West. What's the actual deal here, deal here really?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting that, you know, it's interesting rather that as a company, they they seem sort of pretty um, fascinated by, or I guess oriented around the American West um, through, you know, several GTA games and then obviously Red Dead Redemption and, and, and L.A. Noir And I guess the way that they, uh, their games or they as a company, I suppose, continue to um, engage with, or I suppose perpetuate certain myths about um, the old and, yeah, not so old West. We can kind of contextualise this in, you know, by considering the sort of influences that they draw on. And yeah, the way those influences themselves have created certain myths or ideas about um, the, the American West. It's no surprise, I suppose, that, for a company that um, you know, draws so much from um from American culture and, and cinema that they make a game that is essentially, you know, uh, a Western and that they draw on a particular kind of um mythic image of what the Western was from certain kinds of films, so a particular kind of Western revisionism that's all very much around brutality and, and darkness. And and that's what the kind of the myth of the West, West was. Um with again with you know with Noir, which is a you know a genre that has a lot of um, interconnections with with kind of the the Western in its sort of portrayal of um, Los Angeles and again this sort of brutality and darkness. So they they have as a company particular perspectives on the sort of the urban and rural which is so heavily influenced by the way that like I said certain mythic ideas about them have already been circulated in mainstream popular culture Um, I guess because how would you make a game or why would you make a game I suppose it wasn't playing into these sort of popular ideas if that makes sense
2: yeah absolutely well, I was, uh, again, I was really fascinated by your argument then that Rockstar, and I quote here, sought to construct discourses of authenticity preceding the release of Red Dead uh, Redemption and LA Noir. Um, could you please guide our listeners a bit through your thought processes here?
1: Yeah. Um, so, as I was sort of doing the, the research process for this um, and kind of looking for, different kinds of sources and, and, and things to sort of study and, and talk about, um, yeah, Rockstar's marketing and, and the way that they're, um, yeah, they were trying to say certain things about these games. Looking at all these different kinds of digital promotional materials, so much of it seemed to me that what they were trying to do was perform kind of the, the role of historian almost. They were trying very much to kind of tell players certain things to 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 yeah to 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 negotiate the conversation around their games in a way that was all about authenticity or the expected authenticity and they did this by um offering certain kinds of insights into the the research and the development process um partly you know as a a way of generating buzz and of getting people you know excited and, and interested but yeah also in 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 such a way that was was trying to construct these ideas about the fact that their games had a certain kind of value um and this value was related to how well or how authentically or how faithfully um there's lots of different words that are kind of synonyms that we see repeated um yeah you know before even the player had the chance to pick up the game for themselves and experience it lots of these um promotional materials lots of these kind of um this conversation that was sort of being engineered, I suppose, by, by Rockstars Marketing was happening well in advance um, of the games themselves actually being released. So they were trying to create expectations um, in terms of how they wanted these games to be um, perceived or received, um, while also trying to sort of yeah, manage those expectations too and tell people sort of what to think um, about in relation to their games. Um, and there were lots of different ways that they were, they were doing this and lots of different kinds of digital, um, mostly digital sort of promotional materials or paratext that I actually look at in in the various chapters of the book. So this is from um, blog posts and sort of um, things that were published on Rockstar's actual website, mostly on the the newswire, so where they were picking certain aspects of games like Red Dead, Redemption and L.A. E. Noire and sort of saying here's the the true history behind these games um you know and that was for for things like sorry for games like red dead it was here's some real historical people um and here's how they have a kind of similar um are similar archetype i suppose or a similar sort of experience space and um, to, to john master and so very much about saying this character we created, but the the reality behind him and his sort of experiences is, is very very true. Um, to, to you know, talking about all the. historical processes um you know like industrialization urbanization the development of different kind of technologies um the spread of kind of law enforcement across the west all of these kinds of things they were really sort of pedagogically in a sense sort of saying to players here's the history behind these decisions we've made about the story and the the characters to include in the games Um, and it's all really true go and you know read these articles for yourself and see that we've put all these this true stuff into the games Um, and for for L.A. Noir, you have, you know, here's the, the real cases, the real crimes that actually inspired the sorts of things you're going to be investigating in 1947 Los Angeles. And here's how we use kind of authentic and, and real sort of um, spaces and places in Los Angeles to design our game world. Here's the kind of the, the props and the costumes and the material culture that we use. So that kind of thing. So that was really all about this, you know, as I call it, this kind of discourse of authenticity. And it was very much about... production process and the research process um and you see similar things then in in different kinds of promotional materials like developer interviews where you've got certain kind of high-level executives talking about their research and development process um through to different kinds of trailers or gameplay videos that are usually clips of the games with some you know a the classic kind of um, trailer voiceover talking over the top saying you know this is what life in the West was like and this is what you're going to experience in in Red Dead Redemption or this is what it was like in 1947 in, in Los Angeles and that kind of thing. And really it's it's sort of as I talk a little bit about in the introduction, this um as you know as scholars and, and critics have talked about in relation to what authenticity actually might be, it's the fact that it it needs an audience, you know, it's it's a value judgment but it's a sort of A process of negotiation. It's it needs to be received positively or negatively. So Rockstar were essentially doing a lot of work to try and negotiate that positively in their favour, well before their games um, were actually in in players' hands. Essentially,
2: yeah. I mean, you're also referring to the to the discourse of cinematic authenticity. Sorry, (laughs) authenticity when it comes to that's that's a uh, that's a word. (laughs) <laughs> well, in German, it's authenticität it's not easier, so <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, when it comes to rock stars' attempts to, and I quote you, uh, create a particular illusion of what the most representative qualities of these genres are. Um, could you please elaborate a bit on that specific company process?
1: yeah so this is sort of what I talk about um in in a different chapter but that runs alongside these kind of um the sort of the discourses of kind of historical authenticity that you know I'm talking about this is another kind of um yeah I suppose conversation the Rockstar were trying to start about yeah what their games were drawing from um yeah wider kind of genre cinema and the kinds of um cultural touchstones people might already have experienced when it came to the the western and the noir so there was a another series of blog posts that was sort of um, was called rockstar recommends that really recommended certain films or sometimes tv shows or, or books um to two fans or potential players via the the newswire on the run-up to the games being being released so i argue that sort of um a key part of this is essentially what the company has always been very vocal about trying to do. So in part um, proving the that games are a serious form of entertainment and really to sort of draw on the the prestige and the cultural capital of of, of more experienced uh, or rather more established industries like cinema to, to do that as a way of distinguishing themselves, but also as, yeah, a way of... Um, commodifying essentially what it is they, they're doing um and draw on a pre-existing audience too um but it's also another way of them trying to join um uh maybe a, a different audience um a a more I was gonna say more cultured audience but that that isn't quite what I mean in terms of like gamers and, and game culture but um what what I mean was like kind of for, t- for two franchises essentially Red Dead and, and Ellie Lamar, that were at that point um untested or or un- unproven you know they were they were essentially brand new other than kind of Red Dead Revolver. Um, so they were trying to convince people that they were going to be sort of good um, and worthwhile and that they were going to be authentic to the source material that people were obviously going to make connections to. So the Hollywood Western and, and to sort of classic film noir or maybe neo, neo-noir neo and that kind of things. So um, the way that these blogs, I guess, or blog posts were constructed or um published and, and written were attended, intended to sort of um, communicate that these recommendations were coming from the company um, and offering players an insight into sort of Rockstar's vision um, and Rockstar's kind of tastes is kind of like a I suppose a mood board in a way for these games again really well in advance of their release and they were giving sort of hints or Again, managing expectations about the kind of tone or mood or stories or characters that a player might um, expect, um, and and Matt Margini, in his book on Red Dead Redemption and um, his boss fight book, which is um, really another really great read, he talks about it's kind of like this collage method, the sort of defined by the. Um, I think what you calls the film dorm tastes of the the house of brothers um and their sort of enduring creative influences over Rockstar's back catalog so um I, you know i i don't know what the actual development process looks like and who actually you know sits down to make these decisions beyond the kind of educated guesses on on my part or any educated guesses we could make about how much influence certain people at the company has over different aspects of the games but the fact that these different promotional materials are saying things like, you know, we watched hundreds of movies to prepare for making this game and, you know, here's just a small handful. Um, it's interesting what small handful they actually pick um, and it tells us something interesting about how they, you know, they they view their games um, that they've essentially made and how they position them in, in relation to these wider cultural genres and the kind of new sort of, the, the way I talk about it is the kind of um, how they almost make a new kind of genre canon for themselves. They, they create a sort of constellation of films that speak to or, or touch on different things, in, um, or rather their games touch on different things in the wider genre. So they're really taking the chaotic and, and massive and, and complex um, history of these genres and simplifying them in a way that makes their games seem like the most authentic um, version of them, or the most authentic um, successor to them, I suppose.
2: Yeah, I was just thinking about um, that's. It's quite funny because um, whenever I talk to, or uh, well, at least most of the time, I talk to my students about the 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 actual the practice of research, so to speak, within game studies, and we talk about certain certain texts we have read together in our courses. There's this moment where they always keep asking me, well, what I don't get, um, Rudolf, is that why don't these these game scholars, why don't they just talk to the people in the studios? Why don't you get to these multi-million dollar developers <laughs> right in their faces and keep pressuring them about them? What's the truth here? What's what has happened really behind this this curtains? And I just have to smile and say, as somebody who's worked on on the industry side of things, as uh, public relations. I know exactly this is so funny to see this naivete on their faces that I say it's not possible there's a, a thousand a thousand swords and, and and daggers of legal people waiting just to to pierce your your freaking hearts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and I mean th- this is partly why the book has been shaped in in the way that it has the why the book Looks at and kind of considers the sources as makes the argument it can is because like I, I wasn't able to make an argument about you know what was actually happening because I I don't know like I wasn't able to to speak to people the rockstar you know of, of all the companies and you know, unlike many games companies they only speak to kind of the outside when they want to or have something to say um you know and and what would it what difference would it make I suppose. Uh, you know if yes it would have been a different project it would have have possibly been different ways of talking about this or different arguments to make but what I'm essentially writing about and what we're sort of mostly um stuck writing about when we are kind of looking at at paratex and and games things like that is the kind of the the performance that a company has to the outside world like we're not going to get behind the curtain other than in sort of very specific you know very fortunate circumstances right so yeah
2: so um trying to keep it real in the world of third person action games and shooters I even dare to speculate that you are taking aim at executives and their role within the marketing of gameplay features in gameplay trailers press interviews and behind the scenes exclusives. So um what's their role here exactly?
1: Yeah so I mean as much as obviously we we know that games and you know games are usually though not always made by more than one person, you know, possibly hundreds of people when it comes to, you know, huge studios like um, like Rockstar. Um, when we're talking about um, marketing and the way that um, different kinds of marketing materials are sort of created, um, we're, we're usually talking about the fact that it's very often certain people who get featured um, in these interviews and they're usually the kind of creative executives.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, so there's... Questions that I I ask, or when I'm looking at, um, the, there's there's certain people who are kind of um, crop up again and again um, in in the book, and and people whose sort of quotations crop up again and again. People like the like the houses, in particularly Dan Hauser in his capacity as sort of former VP of Creative and um, as you know writer, credited writer for most of Rockstar's games. So this is not me sort of intentionally saying that these are the people's voices who who matter but it's the fact that these are the people whose voices we actually hear all the time um and yeah there's questions that I kind of ask I suppose in different ways about who has the kind of the power and authority to speak for these games and who in these kind of promotional materials occupies this sort of position of authority to authenticate them and to tell players what to expect so again it's it's the creative executives you know that the people who we we see um again and again being featured um it's it's them who sort of offer the insight or you know have the power i suppose to make the kind of creative decisions on some level that will shape a game in its historical argument and who you know them who we assume then get to to sort of decide um what's included or, or excluded in a game so it's it's a difficult um Thing to sort of balance, you know, kind of, kind of like I was um, saying earlier that you know we don't get the opportunity, or I didn't get the opportunity to, you know, speak to the people who are actually, um, you know, make making the games, programming different aspects of the games, um, across you know long periods of time. The only insight that a, a player, or you know, in some cases, a, an academic, uh, someone who studies games, gets into the only insight they that they get into this production process is by listening to. Um, or, or sort of reading, I guess, what the people who um, yeah, have this sort of capacity or this this position to say, to tell people what they think the game is about or what the company wants the player to think that the game's production process was like or what the meaning, I suppose, of, of the, the game is um, and that kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
2: Were you were you surprised by the fact that or, or surprised by the uh continuity of the uh, the fact that the same people are, are showing up again and again
1: um not especially um i think because it's rocks it's interesting so the fact that they have always or you for, for a long time it's it's very much been about the rocks the rock star brand or the rock star vision it's it's this part of their brand identity is Rockstar as a collective with a kind of shared um a shared kind of vision or um idea and a shared sort of creative collective consciousness I suppose that's making their games um and they are very much about the sort of the the we of Rockstar um that you know and very openly like you know these games are made by all of these people but the tension point within that is that yeah of course the same people again and again are the ones who end up you know feature uh, being featured in these sorts of positions so yeah that's always been an interesting um way of like negotiating their their company image versus who and then actually gets to to speak for the company and i wonder you know to what extent that's to do with you know uh, shielding individuals from criticism, I suppose, or trying, uh, you know, making sure that certain individuals don't get um, a lot of flack for certain things by saying, well, Rockstar is a company, this is the the Rockstar vision, not the individual sort of vision. But the way that, you know, Rockstar are kind of known um, and sort of talked about, people know of the houses, like they, they know that this was kind of their... Um, you know, their studio, they, they knew these people who were very kind of, um, yeah, influential um, or, or famous, but despite the fact that they do very much sort of shun the limelight, as it were, they don't sort of consciously try, I guess, and occupy the same position that a lot of um, game sort of auteurs, if we dare call them game auteurs, um, occupy, but they still... Are the ones who are trying to, you know, who 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 speak to the public or speak to journalists um, when they have something to to market. So, it's it's yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if I'm quite surprised by it or whether it makes sense. If that makes sense,
2: (laughs) yeah. Um, in your two final chapters, uh, you put your focus on the issues of selectivity regarding the uh, and I quote here deeply masculine representation in Red Dead Redemption. And <clears throat> additionally, you also talk about uh, the way whiteness is implicitly constructed as normative in the paratextual and textual content of Red Dead Redemption and L.A. Noir. Let's, let's deep dive into this for our listeners.
1: Yeah. So it, the way that the, the book um, is structured is the first sort of, I guess, um three major chapters is where I I kind of yeah d- do a deep dive almost on to different kinds of promotion materials and sort of set up the kind of image of or set up the way that Rockstar were creating certain, certain expectations about authenticity and really looking at these kind of paratextual networks and the sorts of things they were yeah the sort of image they were creating there so the the final two major chapters we're, were very much looking at, I suppose, or very much look at the, the consequences of that, I guess. Um, and I rather than just, you, you know, saying this is, you know, this is bad representation or that, you know, they've done something bad and all of that. I was trying to yeah contextualize the kind of creative decisions that Rockstar usually make about, you know, centering white men and excluding or pushing to the margins pretty much everyone else by by yeah by looking at that sort of constellation of reference points that they they were making so the way that the promotional surround like I was saying about the way that they were looking at the true histories or um, the different cinematic or cultural um, touchstones they were talking about the way that that is built up and created, um, you know, as an intentional sort of discourse that's supposed to make these games seem authentic, reaffirms a a particular canon of films or of cultural products um, that, you know, are obviously part of these genres. But it does so in a way that, yeah, creates a certain kind of um, partial image of who was actually present, not only in the kind of films that we're talking about, but also in the kind of the history and the kind of the past that we're, we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Sorry just um, just coughing. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um sorry I don't think my voice is quite woken up this morning. Um but yeah so in terms of uh westerns and the kind of westerns that they were picking we're talking about um you know the the very white male antihero the way that the kinds of films that they were picking really um privileged the the interrelationships between white men sort of almost like buddy movie dynamics um and how that sort of authenticated and really sort of um establish what the play was going to do as John and you're going to be riding through these western spaces mostly with other men talking about films these are the, the kinds of films and the kinds of insights they were offering offering into the history behind these things were, were not really films or sort of historical insights into other people's experiences this wasn't you know all you know most of these cowboys were, were black uh, you know it, it wasn't or you know they were women were actually really important in the colonisation of the American West. It it was not really that sort of thing. Um, Women and sort of people of color are very much the kind of exception to, to the rule um, and it's and it's similar a similar story with the way that Ellie Noir was promoted you know the the kinds of films that they're that they're talking about the kinds of or featuring rather rather than talking about are about the you know very much the the white male investigator who's at the center of this story and his kind of descent into you know a kind of existential um or you know his downfall I suppose the the very classic image of the femme fatale despite the fact this is a you know a concept that's been Kind of really critically unpacked by by scholars for a long time it's not about the experiences of these films or the, the history they're talking about and not about the experiences of people of color um, in the city but they're about a particular narrative where the the man is at the center um, and then yeah essentially what i tried to do in the last couple of chapters is see the way that this is reflected in the gameplay choices you know for the very fact that you're playing as John Marson or Jack Marson or, or Cole Phelps or Jack Kelso um, that limits the kind of story and the kind of perspective that you're you're allowing the player to actually see and you're implicitly saying something about whose perspective is 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 valuable and inevitably then that's going to push to the margins of your your historical representation your historical argument the people that um, you know are essentially not white men so yeah it's it's not just a case of I hope it's not just a case of of pointing at stuff and going, yeah, this is this is this is bad. They shouldn't have done this. It's about trying to understand why um, you we have this kind of particular crystallized image of the Western and while that's only about certain people and where that comes from in terms of the, the broader historical context, but also the kind of cultural context too.
2: Interesting. Um, the buddy movie aspect—it was really something. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you mention it, how could I, I, sometimes I wonder how could I miss this? (laughs) It's really good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, well, we've taken a lot of your time now. Um, Two questions uh, left always to ask at the end of these interviews. Uh, what are you working on right now, and of course, what will you be playing next? <laughs>
1: um, so, uh, in terms of working on, we—I'm um, in the final stages of a, of a project, um, an edited collection with um, John Wills on the, um, the Red Dead franchise. So Such that's a great a, guy. He is, yeah. Um, so that's that's a a very cool project we've got some fantastic authors and fantastic chapters even if i do say so myself um and that's so yeah we're in the very very final stages of of that project which is due to come out with the um the university of oklahoma press in early 2023 so that's pretty pretty exciting um and sort of as an ongoing thing um i am one of the the co-conveners of the historical games network so We are um, kind of looking uh, forward to different sort of themes and and events that we'll be sort of organising for um, people who are interested in the intersection between history and games, whether they're sort of fans, players, academics, game makers, or um, people who work in kind of cultural heritage. Um, So, anyone who's got any interest in in history and games, I guess. Um, And in terms of what I'm playing or what I'll be playing next, yeah I'm, I'm still playing catch up with a lot of things so maybe horizon forbidden west or something um a lot of the the big games that yeah i just have have not had time until now really to play um so yeah i'm kind of kind of interested in that hoping to have a look at that soon so
2: so lots of awesome projects in the pipeline then i see well I want to thank you for being on the show today and yeah, I really enjoyed it. And again, the body movie thing, I have to it's it's a perfect excuse to reread actually your wonderful book. Thank you very much. Take care and goodbye.
1: It's great talking to you. Thanks for having me.